mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, the Center for Advanced Manufacturing and Logistics was launched a year and a half ago with the help of $2 million in state funding. Now they'll get another million dollars from the latest Ohio budget. What has been the return on that investment? Also this morning, a closer look at the decisions that grabbed all the headlines at the end of the Supreme Court's latest term. Do they really mean what some people say they mean? And how do perceptions of the current court align with reality? And happening around town while members of Findlay First Edition are putting in the work at summer camp, FFE parents and friends are busy with their annual garage sale fundraiser this week. We'll get details. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, July 11th, 2023. Some of the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, a couple of news items that uh, maybe won't make the headlines beyond the headlines, but are worth knowing nonetheless. In San Francisco, there's a group of individuals who are uh, deliberately going around the city disabling autonomous vehicles, and uh, they're the Safe Street Rebels, (laughs) the Safe Street Rebels is the name of this gang, a group, it says, known for advocating for pedestrian safety and public transit usage, and they are not happy with the city of San Francisco's proposal to expand the use of autonomous vehicles on city streets. So this is what they've been doing. They've been going around town, uh, disabling uh, the uh, self-driving cars by placing traffic cones on and around them. (laughs) And that's apparently all it takes. The self-driving cars uh, are programmed to identify the traffic cones as areas of concern. And apparently they uh, put the cones on the vehicles and around the vehicles and it's enough to confuse the heck out of the software and they just stop. They just completely disable them. (laughs) The uh, group says that... uh, They are doing this because expanded and basically unfettered access to city streets is a bad idea. This is all happening ahead of next Thursday's meeting of the California Public Utilities Commission, where they will vote to allow companies such as Cruise and Waymo to expand their services in San Francisco. And basically, they're saying we're fed up and we're not going to take it anymore. I'm just amazed that's all it takes to disable these self-driving cars. <laughs> you just put, put a bunch of traffic cones around them and they don't know what to do. That is amazingly and disturbingly simple. There. Uh, let's see. Here's a, uh, a story, and this is uh, rather sad news, but really, wow. A pro surfer from Hawaii by the name of Mikala... Uh, Mikola Jones is dead after what's being called a freak accident over the weekend. Now, we hear stories in the news from time to time of surfers being attacked by sharks and things like that. But TMZ reports that uh, Mr. Jones was surfing in Indonesia on Sunday when he, when the fin of his board, he had a wipeout, and the fin of his board caused a large, large gash near his left groin, which resulted in a severed femoral artery. Medical personnel rushed to to assist 
The uh, surfer transported him to the hospital where he later passed away. His uh, daughter shared a social media post paying tribute to her father saying, life will never be the same without you. He was only uh, 44 years old. That is that is crazy, isn't it? I mean, I, I've never really... I mean, surfing is an extreme sport, I guess, but I never really thought of it as being dangerous at, at that level, you know? Um, that is uh, really sad news, crazy news. Uh, let's see, what else is uh, going on in the world? Among the first things you need to know, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, Americans are feeling more stressed than ever. This is probably not news, with inflation rising and crime up in many major cities and so on. A lot of reasons to be stressed out. A new survey from the folks at WalletHub are ranking the 180 major cities of the USA to find out who is stressed out the most. And guess what? Cleveland takes home the unenviable crown as the most stressed city in America. Cleveland, Ohio. They took a lot of different things into account, measuring everything from unemployment to crime, divorce rates, how much sleep people get in various cities. And uh, Cleveland is number one. They cited a high divorce rate, the third highest level of family stress, coupled with a poverty rate second only to Detroit. And a and Detroit, by the way, was second on the list. So Cleveland and Detroit, the most stressed cities in America. Um, so, oh, in Cleveland, they said the rate of financial stress topped the nation as well. So a lot of negative energy in uh, Cleveland and Detroit, for that matter. Baltimore, Maryland was third. Birmingham, Alabama, and Philadelphia rounding out the top five. And the least stressed city in the country, according to the data, Burlington, Vermont. So if you want to uh, get away from the escape the stress, move to Burlington, Vermont. Now, I have to wonder... um, you know, that's way up there if they redid this list in the dead of winter. <laughs> Burlington might be a little farther up the list. You know what I mean? All of that snow. They've been getting uh, flash flooding and a lot of uh, a lot of storms and such uh, up there in Vermont, New Hampshire area over the uh, past several days. So they're probably feeling a little stressed now than they were when the uh, study was completed. But nonetheless, that is uh, the place to go. If you want to de-stress, apparently. Big news today. This is definitely among the first things you need to know. Maybe the best news of the day. It is Free Slurpee Day today. To celebrate its 96th birthday, 7-Eleven is giving away free Slurpee drinks. You can snag a free small drink at participating 7-Eleven, Speedway, and Stripes stores. Those are all under the 7-Eleven umbrella. You, you know, uh, Speedway is part of the 7-Eleven family now, and so you can get a free Slurpee today. Uh, it's just a small one, but it's free. I mean, hey, those beggars can't be choosers. It is today only, no app, no code required. Just stop by and get your free Slurpee. I was uh, at uh, Speedway day before yesterday. I think it was. I think it was Sunday. Uh, I drove, uh, stopped by uh, a Speedway, and I saw a bunch of 
Slurpee cup packages uh, that were sitting there on the floor. And I thought it seemed like they were stocking up for something. Well, now I know. There you go. Free Slurpee day today. Small Slurpees uh, all day, but only today at uh, Speedway and 7-Eleven stores. Um, I don't know how many calories are in a small Slurpee. I'm guessing it's probably not the best for your diet, but uh, yeah, you can cheat for a free Slurpee one one day. Um, speaking of nutrition, scientists at Oxford University have calculated the average number of calories that people consume worldwide. And of all of the nations in the world, Bahrain came out on top with citizens there averaging an intake of 4,012 calories per day. 4,000 calories per day. Now, for reference, the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, recommends a 2,000-calorie daily cap. So Bahrain, they're more than doubling that. The United States came in a close second at 3,868 calories daily. We're pigs. That's the bottom line. We're just pigging out. Um, At the bottom of the list, members of the Central African Republic consume an average of only 1,642 calories per day. Although, I'm not sure that's always by choice there in uh, Central Africa. Is the bottom of the list. So. Interesting. Something to keep in mind if you go for your free Slurpee today. And lastly, among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day over the next couple of days, I want to be looking for the Northern Lights again. This is like the second, I, at least the second, maybe even the third time we've mentioned it this year so far. We're going to have an opportunity to see the Northern Lights across the Buckeye State. The University of Alaska Fairbanks Geophysical Institute is predicting high activity of the Aurora Borealis on Wednesday and Thursday across uh, across much of the northern U.S. and parts of Canada. As a matter of fact, um, I was reading a an article yesterday or the day before yesterday about this, and uh, they said they may even see the Northern Lights as far south as West Virginia, which would be incredibly rare. So that seems to bode well for us. The only problem is, looks like it's going to be cloudy uh, over the next few days, Wednesday and Thursday. So maybe, maybe not, but we might get lucky. The forecast says the colorful light show in the night sky will be visible uh, as far south as... uh, well, it says from Maine to Washington State as far south as Ohio, Indiana, and here it is, West Virginia. The best time to see the northern lights will be from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., and the best place to see them will be in rural areas away from the city lights. Um, and they will be, I mean, the further south you go, the further uh, lower in the sky, in the night sky they will be, uh, as opposed to, I mean, you've seen the, Uh, images from like Nordic countries in Norway and Sweden and places like that in Iceland where they get the Northern Lights on a regular basis and they're filling the sky. It won't be anything like that because we're just too far south with the curvature of the Earth. Uh, Sorry, flat earthers. Uh, With the curvature of the Earth, it'll be very low in the sky, but it may be visible uh, later this week. Uh, Once again, you remember 
um, back right before the holiday, we were talking about the fact that this was going to be a very active year for the sun over the next year, year and a half. A lot of things going on, a lot of cosmic activity with the sun, and that's what's tied to the appearance of the northern lights. So here's another example of that, and yet another opportunity to catch the northern lights this far south. And if you've never seen them, they are something to behold, to be sure. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Tuesday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Plenty of sunshine expected again today with a high in the mid-80s. Partly cloudy tonight, a low in the mid-60s. New Finley police officer Samuel Wyrow earned the top firearms class honor as he graduated from the Ohio State Highway Patrol's basic peace officer training class. Police Chief James Mathias was not surprised to hear the honor for Officer Wyrow and says he'll be a great addition to the department. We knew before he left and that uh, he was going to do well at the academy. He was a former U.S. military member with the Army and that and has specialized training. He earned several awards through the military. And so that part of the process, we wasn't too surprised that he was going to earn some some accolades down there at, the, at Columbus and that. But uh, he's a very good guy and we look forward to having him here. The chief says Officer Wyrow should be on the force by the end of the week and will begin 16 to 18 weeks of training in the field. Get more on our website. Ohio's newly enacted state budget includes the Social Media Notification Act. This would require certain online companies to get parental consent before a teenager under the age of 16 opens an account on apps like Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and TikTok. It's an idea Lieutenant Governor John Houston first introduced back in February. Ohio was one of the first states to propose this, but we're not the only state to pass it. Many other states are doing it. These companies are going to have to comply. The Attorney General has the ability to bring legal action against them. I'm hopeful that it will never come to that. I'm Angela Ann. The Ohio State Highway Patrol shared some video of troopers helping some geese get off a busy highway. It happened on Interstate 77 in Stark County, and the troopers assisting the geese were from the Canton Post. Go! Go! That way! After quite a bit of effort by the troopers, all the geese managed to safely get off the highway and out of harm's way. See some video with this story on our website. The University of Finley's Mazza Museum will be holding its annual summer conference next week. The three-day conference welcomes teachers, librarians, and book lovers to educational and engaging presentations from some of the top authors and illustrators in the picture book industry. Get more on the Mazza Museum's summer conference in this story on our website. I'm Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. So now our cover story this morning, the Center for Advanced Manufacturing and Logistics was launched about a year and a half ago with the help of uh, $2 million in state funding. And now uh, the center is going to get another million dollars in the latest Ohio budget, which was passed by the legislature, signed by the governor just days ago. So what has been the return on that investment? The uh, director of the Center for Advanced Manufacturing and Logistics is former Economic Development Director Tim Miley, who joins us in the studio this morning. Tim, thanks very much for uh, dropping by. Great to be back in. Let's, uh, first of all, kind of step back and kind of refresh people's memory about the center. And again, it's been about a year and a half since right. uh, since it was uh, launched. Partnership between Bowling Green State University, the University of Finley, and Owens Community College. Uh, talk a little bit about how, and I know you were involved uh, from the very beginning as Correct. economic development director, so kind of talk about the evolution of this. Yep. So, yeah, I was, I was involved, and the whole point is it's still economic development, what we're doing. Mm-hmm. We're taking the higher education, the partnership that you mentioned, 
along with economic development. So that could be local economic developers like Dan Schaefer. It could be RGP, Jobs Ohio, Center for Innovative Food Technology, Department of Development. There's a lot of people who play in the economic development world. Mm -hmm. And then industry. So it's taking those three stakeholders, and we are going to support the industry really through operations and workforce. And that's what we're out there doing every day is working with companies and trying to make them more profitable and more efficient and give them the pipeline of students they need and the training that they need. And now you have, even though the center was launched, uh, like I said, a year and a half ago, you've uh, only been the director for a little less than a year, right. now, just uh, several months. So, and, and this is sort of building all of this up from scratch. Where are you now? So we are, we're really gaining some momentum now. In fact, this week we're going to be doing some interviews. We've got interviews for assistant to come on board and from the beginning, we had to start off with some administrative work. The original $2 million was fairly narrow how it was written because they didn't have anybody on board. So we spent some time rewriting that, working with the state. Uh, we're working on branding. We've, we've engaged a company to go through this branding journey. I still don't have a business card. I still have a website. But, <laughs> I was going to say, if folks but, want to learn more about the uh, Center yeah, for Advanced so, Manufacturing but, and Logistics, you Google it, and it's not really it's out not there. not really there yet, but that's okay because we're getting close to that. So we we spent the last couple of weeks working with our stakeholders to really hone in kind of what is what is it going to look like visibly to the public because we have to think through who future partners may be, what the geography may be, uh, the evolution, as you mentioned. So when we build a brand, we, it needs to be forward thinking of, of how we're going through that. And while doing all that, we're still operating the business. So we're still we're still doing projects. So we're working with companies on supply chains and how, what they can reshore and operations and operational efficiency of equipment. So we're still doing that. And and that's really uh, what I wanted to kind of get to because, again, as people hear uh, about some of the details of the latest budget, you see a million dollars going right. to the Center for Advanced Manufacturing and Logistics. And knowing that there was $2 million in state funding uh, to to start this. And so that's a lot of money being funneled in. And yet, again, you Google it from the outside right. uh, looking in. You know, you, you go to learn more about it, and there's really not a, a whole lot there. So the question naturally comes up, what's the return on that investment? What are people right. getting for those taxpayer it, dollars? Correct. And we've been out starting to tell the story now since we've, we've got some projects under our belt. Mm -hmm. So what they're getting is, I'll give you a couple of examples of projects. So when you think of education, you, you think of students, right, that are studying. Could mm -hmm. be in engineering or in business. One of the things we want to do is increase the number of students that are co-oping that co-op in Northwestern Ohio. A lot of companies have no longer doing co-ops. Well, a co-op, you get a credit. It may be burdensome for the company in their mind to do that. When you look at the st statistics, the number of people who co-op, they go to work for that company at a very high rate. So let's make sure we're keeping our students here. That, that could be an example there. Mm -hmm. We, uh, as I mentioned on the reshore, the business school, supply chain instant, BGSU, has done in-depth analysis for a couple different companies here in town and said, what are you bringing in? What are you importing? What's the cost? What are the geopolitical risks? You know, if you're coming from China, if you're in Europe with energy prices, mm -hmm. with, with all the different stuff going on, what's right. the time of delivery? And they said, here are things you should consider reshoring. Here are companies in North America that could do it. And then the engineering school got involved and said, what if you just build it in-house and vertically integrated? So, we continue to do these projects. So the return on investment is 
manufacturing is under a tremendous amount of pressure right now. As we talked in my old job, the changes that are going on in the automotive industry, uh, the, the new technology that's coming in, mm-hmm. these, these generational disruptions. Manufacturing needs more support than they've ever needed to stay competitive. And so the first and foremost, what we're working on is to retain the companies we have to help them. Because within higher education, there's tremendous resources. There's, there's faculty and staff who worked in industry. There's graduate assistants that we could pull out. And so we're almost, the center is almost consulting, utilizing the resources of higher education. And so we, we, we will eventually come out with metrics that we'll be having but you know we're, we're getting the business up and running is is this do you envision this uh, always uh, being uh, more aligned with the legacy i mean you talk about the the tie-in with the economic development and we were talking yesterday about the fact that economic development uh, again what makes the headlines what we typically think of is bringing in new investment new growth right. and so on but so much of it is maintaining those legacy uh, employers and those legacy uh, uh, entities. Yep. Do you envision this as being more aligned to that uh, part of it? For the most part, but there will be opportunities for attraction. So one of the initiatives that we're going to be working on, we're going to be doing an analysis of everything that comes in that you can get data on anybody who pays tariffs. So we want to take a look what's coming in. And if there's a company bringing in a significant amount of materials in the Northwestern Ohio, that could be an outreach opportunity. We also, if there's traditional jobs, Ohio leads or leads that Dan has. In fact, in my old job, some of the leads we had, we pitched the center as an asset to Northwest Ohio for them to come. So, but for the first and foremost, we, companies are trying to digitize their manufacturing process. Mm-hmm. We have one company we're working with right now in Bowling Green where we'd ask them, what does a good day look like? Well, if we get all the parts done mm-hmm. and no one gets hurt. Well, what does really a good day look like statistically? How many parts can you make? And a lot of these manufacturers have been using the same machinery equipment for 20, 30, 40 years. Mm-hmm. And they can't measure their uptime, their downtime, their on-plan downtime. These are the things that we're working with them on. And it is interesting, uh, just to underscore something that you uh, alluded to, uh, working with those industries that are, are coming into an area, those uh, new attractions of today will be the legacy companies of tomorrow. So uh, looking at it in that respect as well. We talk about the uh, state funding uh, that has been uh, set aside or, or earmarked for uh, for this. Does the coalition of BGSU, UF, Owens, do they have some skin in the game as the, uh, in this as well? So right now they have skin in the game in the sense that they provide a tremendous amount of resources of time of what's going on mm-hmm. from the three presidents down to the deans, the faculty and staff. Every Monday, I have a weekly call with, with all three schools. They're providing office space for me. But in terms of them allocating money in a budget, we haven't got to that point yet. We're just using the, the money that came from the state. But they are truly all in in terms of the partnership and the resources. They have not said no to me on anything that I've asked. Uh, it could be for, for any project. Like, like We hosted the Northern Ohio Manufacturing Alliance at the BGSU football stadium a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fun stuff like that to couple of the uh, we have a chemist that i'm working with at bgsu and he's busy he's got a lot of things going on and he's come on company visits with me he's working with companies on how to cross-link plastics and how to work through degradation of plastics so i don't i don't know we haven't tried to put a value on that yet but yeah it is significant 
and I, I got to ask you, because this is a new ent- uh, entity and yep. you came on board as a director for something with the opportunity to sort of mold this from scratch. Right. How exciting uh, and how challenging has that been for you personally? It's, it's been a lot of fun. And it, you know, when you start off, it's where do you start? It's kind of what we're talking. There's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things going on. Yeah. And now with the momentum and starting to get the projects going, it becomes more fun every single day because I can really start to see, especially when we're working on this branding, I can't wait to roll it out and let people really see. can't wait to have that website, the resources. And the more we work on it, the more we can build into it. You know, we hosted a company, a local company at Owens a few weeks ago. And the opportunities to catalog the equipment they have out there and build out, and, and we're benchmarking other centers for advanced manufacturing, how they do their work and how they communicate it. So you know, fast forward in about six months or so when all this is fully running and operating, that's what I'm working toward every day and, and keeps me going, and, and it's just a ton of fun working on it. Uh, exciting to see a new entity take shape like yep. that, yeah. Uh, again, uh, Tim Miley with the Center for Advanced Manufacturing and Logistics. It'll be something that we'll continue to watch as it uh, continues to fletch itself out. And, uh, Tim, thanks very much for dropping by. We You're welcome. It. Thanks for having me. So, of course, as you know, right before the uh, the holiday uh, last month, the Supreme Court wrapped up their, uh, their latest term with a number of uh, highly publicized decisions. And in sort of digesting some of the analysis of those decisions, uh, I noticed uh, something uh, kind of interesting. Uh, a lot of people were reading a lot into the decisions that may or may not actually be there. And uh, so I wanted to take a, a closer look at some of those uh, decisions and the analysis uh, thereof. We are joined by uh, Ohio Northern University uh, law professor, uh, uh, Dr. Scott Gerber, who's been with us uh, a number of times uh, on the uh, program to uh, discuss all things uh, involving the uh, Supreme Court. And uh, Scott, first of all, thanks very much for, uh, for taking the time. Uh, I noticed like I said, a couple of decisions where it seems people are reading more into it than perhaps uh, is actually in the decisions, and a couple that actually uh, relate to academia, so ones that I'm sure uh, you followed very closely for that reason as well. Uh, first and foremost, the one on uh, affirmative action, where the uh, court struck down uh, admission policies that were based uh, basically on quotas, but did not... Uh, eliminate the use of race as a factor for uh, these uh, college admissions. So it it seemed like people made more out of that than actually existed in the decision itself. I actually disagree with your reading of the case. It's it's clear that the court said that it's unconstitutional and violates federal anti-discrimination statutes to take race into account in admissions decisions. The only thing the majority opinion left open was that if in a personal uh, essay statement, um, an applicant can explain how race affected him or her specifically, mm-hmm. either in a good way or in a bad way, uh, that's okay. But this traditional notion in the past of the admissions officers look at the file and they, and they are allowed to think, okay, race, uh, no, they're not allowed to do that anymore. And the only other exception would be 
the military, at least for the moment, is allowed to continue to use race in the uh, prior sense of as a, a factor, but no other uh, college university is allowed to use race at all as a factor. You, we mentioned the the fact that this can be brought up uh, and and considered when it is part of an essay for admission and and so on and so forth. Do you believe that there will be uh, institutes of higher learning that will uh, that will look at that in in that way? I mean, will that become uh, more? common or sort of a de facto uh, way of, of bringing the question of race into the entire equation? Yeah, it will. And, you know, uh, the, the Chief Justice said that uh, uh, colleges and universities, in his opinion at least, have approached the use of race in admissions decisions in good faith. I actually don't believe that, and I've written well, up it for years saying that isn't true because I've seen it, you know, from the inside. Right. Um, so but what I think they're going to do is they're going to use uh, this little footnote or whatever from Roberts and uh, just use it a lot uh, more broadly than the court yeah. allows to, even in this case. Well, and that and that's why I say uh, I, I wonder if uh, this actually will have the effect that some people believe that it that it has broadly uh, when it sort of leaves open that door and. So I guess it would not be a surprise to see uh, this issue brought back before the court again in the future. This is not the last time uh, we've uh, heard. This is not the final word uh, in that respect. Right. And that's why, uh, you know, even someone like, you know, Justice Thomas uh, just says, don't even leave any window open. And I'll give you an example of why. Justice Thomas is correct. It's been the law for a long, long time that employers can't, cannot use race, gender, and ethnicity in uh, hiring decisions, uh, but they do it anyway, and then they don't tell the truth about it. And so this is just going to be the same thing. Yeah. Um, the other uh, interesting uh, decision that came out uh, at the uh, tail end of the uh, term was, uh, again, as it relates to a- academia, the uh, ruling on the uh, president's student loan forgiveness program. And uh, again, the way it was reported and analyzed by a lot of folks uh, was that the uh, was that the court uh, said that, no, you can't do this. Is that really what the court said? Because it, it seems like what they uh, were really saying was that you can't do this the way the president did it without the involvement of Congress. They really didn't say that uh, – that forgiving student loans is illegal or improper, just that it couldn't be done the way the president tried to do it. You're 100% correct. Uh, It it turned on separation of powers, and uh, the court held that the the Secretary of Education, who obviously works for President Biden, lacked the authority under the HEROES Act to, quote, rewrite the statute to the extent of canceling $430 billion dollars a student loan principal, Congress could rewrite the statute. Right. Now, obviously, in the current makeup of Congress, there's no appetite to do so. But again, this is one of the things that, with the changing winds of politics, we may not necessarily have heard the end of. Yeah, and it also speaks to, um, you know, the uh, excessive use of presidential power. And Biden is not alone in that. You know, every president... Right. Or, 
know, for a long, long, long time, maybe going all the way back to Lincoln, if not before that, has used more power than they're allowed to use. And so, again, uh, will this be a decision that will be used to, you know, more broadly than for this issue of student loan forgiveness is the real implication here beyond just the issue at hand? No, that, that's a really good question. Um, and uh, what the court is doing uh, and what it has done in several recent terms is say that uh, lawmaking is vested by the Constitution in Congress. So, so last term, for example, you know, they said that an administrative agency can't make law. So if they want to do something, Congress has to explicitly authorize them to do it if it's a, quote, major question. Mm-hmm. And, that's so, a, it, it, and that piggybacks on the uh, decision, I think, of the uh, last term w- involving the EPA and some of their regulations, right? Right. That, that was exactly the, the, the uh, decision I was uh, yeah. referring to. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what the implications are uh, moving forward in the uh, coming term. Uh, so let's uh, talk a little bit about that uh, with respect to the things that you would expect uh, for the uh, upcoming term, because now we're looking at what cases the uh, court will be considering come first uh, Monday in October. Yeah, well, as, as, as I recall, they've taken another case that will illustrate the point you just made you know, whether a, a federal agency is allowed to exercise as much power as the people running the agency would like. And my guess is the court will continue down the path of no, yeah. uh, Congress makes law, not agencies and not the president. Um, w- want to ask you about this, too, because one of the other narratives that we have heard about uh, the court in recent years, especially of this past term, uh, is the uh, political divide and how divided this uh, this court is and, and so on and so forth. But is the uh, are the perceptions of the current court aligning with reality? If you look at the decisions, there are more unanimous and uh, 8-1 decisions uh, from this court even than uh, during the Reagan court. Uh, I, during the Reagan years, I think I, I had, and I saw a report, I think it was from NBC News, which is certainly not uh, a uh, uh, outlet that has been friendly to this particular court, but admitting that uh, there have been not as many split 6-3 decisions as what the perception has been. Is this as politically divided as we have made it out to be again from the analysis yes um on the on the on the big cases like the two that we've talked about mm-hmm. like one about the website designer yeah things like that obviously last year the one overruling roe v wade those major major landmark cases right of course it's very politically divided and they're even caustic occasionally in their opinions criticizing uh one another and uh, there has been obviously a lot of um, uh, a lot of people who would like to see the uh, who would like to uh, excuse me who would like to see the uh, court expanded or uh, putting in certain term limits and all of that. You don't see that happening uh, in in any way, shape, or form, do you? 
Uh, on expanding the court, no. Uh, President Biden has repeatedly said he's, he's opposed to that, and he couldn't get it through anyway. Right. On term limits, maybe. Um, but you have to amend the U.S. Constitution to do that. That's very difficult. But that's not completely impossible. Hmm. Be interesting to see what happens uh, again in the aftermath of uh, this session, ahead uh, of the uh, uh, convening of the court uh, in the fall. I'm sure we'll uh, talk more about that when we uh, learn more about the uh, cases that the court will be hearing in the next term. Again, uh, uh, Dr. Scott Gerber, Ohio Northern University Pettit School of Law with us uh, this morning. Scott, thanks very much for taking the time. Appreciate your insight as always. You're welcome, Chris. It is the summer shopping extravaganza that we all look forward to. Amazon Prime Day is underway today and tomorrow. And joining us with some very important things to know before you click is CNET video host and producer Abrar Alhidi. The big thing that is new this year and has gotten a lot of attention are these invite-only deals where you actually have to jump through some extra hoops in order to get the special price. How does this work? That's right. So essentially what this is, is these are items that Amazon thinks are going to be really, really popular. And so what happens here is you'll see uh, an option to request an invite for that product. So if you hit that button, what happens is when that sale is ready and if you've been selected, then you'll get a link directly to your inbox. And once it's time, you'll click that link and then you'll be able to access those deals. So you won't have to really scavenge on the site to kind of find what you're looking for. If you know what you want, you can just have that link directly sent to you and that'll save you time. And it's really, you know, it, it depends on how much inventory they have. Not everyone will get the link. Before you click the invite uh, link, you'll be able to, to see what the deal is. You're not uh, asking to buy it blind or anything like that, right? Right, exactly. You are under no obligation to just purchase something at whatever price. You'll be able to kind of see how much you'll be paying for it. And then that way, really what it does, it just saves you the energy of having to kind of check throughout the day to see um, if it's available or, or if it's on sale and how and for how much. So, and as you were kind of alluding to, not everything is invite only. It's just certain items. What if I haven't requested an invite before Prime Day? Because uh, you could do this uh, over the past uh, several days. Am I out of luck if I haven't asked for an invite to this point, or can I still do that? Yeah, it might be. It's, it's better to get it as early as possible just because these are items that Amazon feels like will sell out very quickly. But that Fair doesn't point. mean all hope is lost. There's potential for you to be able to still get what you want. So keep looking at on Amazon site if you if you really know you want something. One of the other tips, people have called this sort of like Black Friday, Cyber Monday in the middle of the summer. And just like savvy shoppers have learned that during the Christmas season, all the deals are not necessarily as great as they're made out to be. So too, the case on Prime Day, generally speaking, what categories have the best deals? What deals are often made out to look better than they really are? The best deals are actually going to be on Amazon branded anything, really. So whether it's tech, like a tablet or um, Echo smart speakers or earbuds, that's really where you're going to find the biggest discounts. And that's not really a surprise. Amazon holds this event in order to get people to A, buy a Prime subscription and B, to buy Amazon products. That's where you're going to find the biggest deals. But really what I would advise is if you're looking on Amazon's website and you find something that isn't Amazon branded, whether it's, you know, an Apple product or whatever product you're looking at, 
check competitors because Best Buy has sales, Walmart has sales, Target has sales, and a lot of these places will also price match. So make sure that you're really exploring all of your options and not just thinking that Amazon will always have the best prices for everything. You also suggest taking a closer look at some of the everyday household items, not just the flashy stuff, the electronics and things like that. There are some real bargains that can be found on those uh, mundane essentials. Absolutely. It's not always about, you know, the, the hottest big tech product. It's sometimes it's about stocking up for things like batteries or light bulbs or extension cables, like whatever you, you know that you're going to need. This is the time to really stock up on that because let's be honest, how many times have we purchased electronics or appliances that we didn't actually need and they're just sitting there in a corner um, because the prices were alluring. So maybe it's a good idea to take a step back and think, okay, do I really need that big flashy electronic or do I really just need the everyday basics? And this is the time to get them at a discounted rate. Of course, as we mentioned, kind of the reference the Christmas in July concept, which is not new. Christmas in July predates uh, Prime Day. Amazon didn't invent that concept, but Prime Day started as a way to entice people to sign up for Amazon Prime because the deals are only available to Prime members. In fact, uh, folks remember, they used to come right out and say, sign up and then you can cancel before the free trial period ends. But just mm-hmm. last month, the FTC uh, has, has gone after Amazon for making it exceedingly difficult to cancel Prime once you sign up for it. So one of the other tips uh, is to be wary of those upsells. That's right. That's definitely something that you have to keep in mind because I feel like, you know, a a lot of times we'll sign up for something and we'll say, oh, it's a month that's free. And then you kind of forget about it because there's so many subscriptions out there. So that's just something to keep in mind. It can be very enticing. But if you're, um, if you end up spending money on this prime membership and you don't use it and you don't get your money's worth, did you really save anything at the end of the day? Yeah. And uh, keep in mind that it may be rather complicated. It's, It's always more difficult to cancel than it is to sign up. So just something to keep in mind going in. Uh, A lot of things there to help you figure out what the uh, deals are and if they're really as good as they claim to be. CNET reporter Abrar Alhidi with us this morning. And again, you folks tracking all of this at your website, right? Yes, we are. So feel free to visit CNET.com. We've we've done a lot of the hard work for you if you want to see what what great products you should snack today. This is Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. The super fan of the Kansas City Chiefs uh, is under arrest again. He's been in the news before. Uh, You remember, I believe we talked about it uh, in the uh, broken news uh, in the past. Uh, Xavier uh, Babuder would dress up as a wolf uh, with a uh, Chiefs jersey on. They call him the Chiefsaholic. And... um, He is accused now of robbing a bank in Oklahoma on his way to see the Chiefs play the Texans last year in Houston. (laughs) I mean, this isn't this isn't funny. Bank robbery is serious stuff, but (laughs) apparently he has a penchant for doing this, uh, robbing banks on his way to uh, to see the games. And uh, he apparently was on his way, (laughs) way to Houston and thought, Hey, I need some cash. So he stopped by a bank in Oklahoma and robbed it. He uh, skipped bail and has been on the run ever since. The FBI says the 28-year-old was caught on Friday hiding out in the suburbs of Sacramento, California. He has now been linked to several other bank heists and is accused of laundering money at casinos across the Midwest. So 
all kinds of trouble for uh, that guy. Back in the news once again. Uh, now, this is no way to run a restaurant. It is time to say sayonara to the Nico Japanese Steakhouse in Florida after an investigation found that some of the restaurant's soy sauce was contaminated with methamphetamine. <laughs> now, that's a way to drum up repeat business. Thinking. Uh, seven unfortunate souls ended up in the hospital after a visit to the restaurant. It turns out their soy sauce wasn't just your regular run-of-the-mill condiment. It was a special concoction uh, <laughs> that, that the restaurant created specifically uh, for its diners, a uh, you know, special special sauce, as it were, infused with a dash of meth. Despite a thorough investigation by the Santa Rosa County Sheriff's Office, they could not pinpoint the person responsible due to a lack of witnesses, and uh, there was no surveillance video, so no charges have been, have been filed. The case is closed, but in a statement on Facebook, the restaurant has announced its closure. They stated that they were unable to sustain the cost to uh, stay open. So, and again, once you're, <laughs> you can't uh, ensure repeat business in their own special way. No sense in staying open. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, uh, speaking of uh, fun at restaurants, this is, uh, let's see here. I'm not sure exactly where the, oh, Fort Myers, Florida. Um, Christian Andrade Benega accused of pointing a gun at patrons of a Cuban restaurant because he was not offered free pizza while other patrons were. I can understand the frustration. You know, somebody else, everybody else in the restaurant gets something free and it is not offered to you. Uh, that can be a little frustrating. Um, and I think this is what any reasonable patron would do. Pull out a gun and threaten everybody. Uh, Mr. Benega pleaded no contest to one count of aggravated assault. He was sentenced to 364 days in prison and must complete an anger management course. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, probably a good idea. Anger management. Staying in the uh, Sunshine State, a 21-year-old Dakota Wood uh, claimed that he was the victim of an attempted carjacking. Uh, was, uh, he told officers that two men shot him in the leg while attempting to carjack him. Uh, after further investigation, though, confronted about his story, Mr. Wood came clean and admitted that he shot himself. He confessed that he had been playing with his gun in his vehicle when the weapon discharged by accident. <laughs> Some people should just, I'm all for uh, right to bear arms and you know freedom to carry and, and all of that. But there are some people that just should not own firearms. This apparently is uh, one of them. According to the sheriff's office, Mr. Wood made up his story because he didn't want to get into trouble. He now got into trouble. He faces charges of tampering with or fabricating physical evidence false reports of commission of a crime, and, of course, discharging a firearm in public. <laughs> he could have probably only faced one charge. Now he's facing multiple charges, so <clears throat> didn't work out quite the way he had hoped. Um, you know, navigating 
the uh, dating scene is never easy. And especially for those uh, that are a little bit older, it can be kind of tricky. A woman uh, in England consulted a parenting forum to ask for advice on a possible dating dilemma, according to yourtango.com. Uh, the, uh, the woman explained that she had met someone she was interested in while on a vacation with friends. They met at a bar and, uh, while she admitted that they were a bit tipsy, they seemed to hit it off and had a strong connection and have stayed in touch, uh, since they, well, they were all on, you know, on vacation. Now they've returned home, but they've stayed in touch. The woman explained though, that, uh, after some light Googling, she discovered that there is an eight-year age gap between her and the man she's met. He, uh, she's 47, he's 39. Uh, both of them have children, so she said she doesn't foresee that being an issue. She is more concerned with the difference in their ages and the fact that she is older than he is. She said that age as a topic of conversation has not come up yet, only now she's wondering if she should reveal her age before they actually go out, uh, before they go out or while they're on the date. Sure, she Should she you know, kind of... Keep that a secret. I'm okay with the age gap, she said, but he might not be, which is fair. <laughs> but if it's fair, she, she doesn't want to. Why wouldn't you say if she's uh, if it's fair? She uh, the woman uh, notes she doesn't want to get her hopes up if he's uh, if he is uncomfortable with her uh, being older. I don't know. Why would that be a, a big eight years? I mean, eight years is a big deal if you're 19. <laughs> And there's an eight-year difference. That's a big deal. But if you're 47 and he's 39, I don't know. But it can be tough. I bring this up because of this story. And again, it's going back to Florida, but this is a good story. And it's a great way to uh, close out the broken news. A Florida dermatologist has proven that it is never too late to find love. Um... Apparently, Dr. Thomas McKeekin uh, is, uh, let's see here, is a practicing member of the uh, Academic Alliance in Dermatology in Tampa. He is 78 years old and recently proposed to his now fiance Nancy at Tampa International Airport. He's 78, she's 79, after she had just touched down from a trip to California He went to pick her up at the airport and uh, in a video captured by one of the medical assistants at his uh, at his dermatology practice, uh, Mr. Uh, McKeekin leads Nancy over to a seat by her uh, arrival gate and hands her a bouquet of red roses and a necklace with both their birthstones on it, then gets on one knee and pulls out his proposal speech. It's been 60 years since we first met, he says to her. Um, You have always been the one that I have had a crush on since your cheerleader days in high school. How about that? Met in high school. He had a crush. (laughs) I don't know if it took him all this time to (laughs) get up enough gumption to actually uh, ask her to marry him. After tearfully asking for her hand in marriage... Nancy uh, responded that uh, that she would uh, marry him. As the two hugged to loud applause, the video has gone viral. Kind of makes the 
eight-year age difference seemed not such a big deal. Never too late to find love. Age 78. Marry her high school sweetheart. Never give up. There you go. That is today's Broken News Report, an update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. And yet another major brand just announced it's halting all social media advertising. The two most overused and abused words in advertising are truth and trust. They are the two most precious commodities for all brands, big and small. As an advertiser, you have to trust your partners to protect your brand's truth using the media consumer's trust. Radio, it's on. This message provided by WFIN. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. A record number of Americans now live alone. According to uh, data from the U.S. Census Bureau, solitaires uh, now make up an estimated 29% of the U.S. population, 29%. Of, uh, of people in this country live alone. That's almost one in three. That just I really was shocking to me. For comparison, in 1940, solitaires made up only 8% of households. Today, 29% of households are people living alone. Now, there are a number of reasons for this. Americans are marrying later or not at all, uh, while younger men are more likely to live alone, the gender gap narrows over uh, over time. Uh, in retirement years, women are more likely to live alone, in part because women obviously have greater life expectancy, commonly outlive their husbands, uh, and so a number of those are, are widowed and not remarrying, and uh, or if not remarrying, not cohabitating, uh, with or without marriage, but also because of the growing divorce rate, you have a larger number of uh, women who are living alone than uh, when you get uh, a little bit older than than used to be. So uh, that plays a factor in it as well. The main reason for putting this information out there, and this is data from the uh, University of well, census data, but it was compiled and put out there by the University of Illinois, Chicago. Barbara Reisman uh, is uh, with UIC. And uh, the point in in bringing all of this to light, uh, she says, is that people can live alone and still be vibrant community members. Uh, It is uh, very important to remember that one can live alone and yet still have a tight-knit family network, uh, friends who care about you, and uh, people that you talk to on a daily or weekly basis. So even if you live alone, these things are important, and uh, making sure that you have that uh, interaction with others, even if you don't actually live with them. Well, it is that time of year once again, while members of the Findlay First Edition are putting in the work at their summer camp this week, FFE Parents and Friends busy with their annual garage sale fundraiser. FFE Director Kevin Manley is with us on the line this morning. Kevin, first of all, thanks for uh, taking the time uh, out of your schedule. I know this week is very busy 
Uh, let's talk first of all about what's going on with the group. Uh, what is happening right now? What are you doing at uh, summer camp this week? Well, first of all, Chris, thank you so much for having me. We always appreciate your support and uh, the support of the community. Um, this is a big week for us. It's a big teaching week. The group comes together for the first time, and we work together to put, put a show together by Saturday. So uh, Saturday at 4 o'clock, we have our first performance of the year, and we'll have three fully choreographed numbers, and uh, away we go, and here we it's all starts again. So uh, you'll have three ready to go by the end of the week. How many uh, how many numbers in the repertoire for a season uh, in total by the time you get through the entire year? Yeah, th- you know that's a good question. Uh, it's probably about twelve or fifteen. Okay. You so, know, just for first edition, and then we have all the music in the choirs as well. Right. But, so I, I just want to kind of give people an idea. This is not, it, it's not like you're putting together everything that you will be doing uh, for the entire season in this one week. It's basically just getting that those first numbers ready to go and, and so on. So it's a lot right. happens after, uh, after this here, too. Yeah, that's right. We, in fact, we don't do anything for the competition show this week. It's just a teaching week to get the new members acclimated to the group. Uh, our choreographer, Andy Haynes, is here all week, and we do a lot of dance technique, a lot of vocal technique, and it's just a big teaching week where the group comes together. Kind of laying the groundwork. How many, uh, how many new members, what kind of turnover do you have this year uh, from last year? Yeah, I have 11 new boys this year. Wow. So over half the boys are, are first-timers. Wow. Uh, so as you know, for boys, sometimes they're a little behind the girls with singing and dancing. So uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of room for growth there with the boys, uh, but a, a great group of guys, and they're working hard. Uh, I only have six new girls, so it's a, it's a veteran group of girls. Uh, and you can tell that they're they're already stepping up. Yeah, you, you know, we uh, sometimes will uh, use as an analogy, uh, you know, sports teams as as we're familiar with, and this is uh, much the same thing. I mean, you turn over uh, a significant uh, part of your, you know, one side of the ball or the other. Uh, in your case, uh, the girls and the boys, and that can, uh, I, I would imagine. Uh, that can determine how complicated and and how elaborated, uh, how elaborate uh, you know the routines are, and and so on and so forth. It really dictates, you know, what your group looks like for the year ahead. Does it not? That yeah, that's right. But you know, um, we have this wonderful thing, this wonderful tradition of excellence in the group, and the veteran members really step up and help bring those new members along. And uh, I always feel that way at the beginning of the year of what are we going to be able to do? And then over the course of the year, it <laughs> just, it all comes together. You know, yeah. it really, it, and I sometimes don't like that phrase, but um, the tradition that we have in the group, once you have that established, that, mm-hmm. that really helps. Well, and, and that uh, brings up the point. I mean, obviously, FFE is a, a crown jewel. It is something that, you know, we pride ourselves in in this community because of all of the accolades and the competitions won and and so on. Uh, really, nationwide, people know Findlay First Edition who know show choirs. And what is the schedule this year? Uh, we are going to a couple of competitions in Indiana. We had taken some time away from Indiana for a while uh, for a variety of reasons. So. Uh, we're going to go to a couple of competitions in the Fort Wayne area. 
Um, and then our traditional competitions over at Medina, um, Medina, Ohio, south of Cleveland. They have a beautiful facility to perform in. The people of Medina are amazing. Uh, and we also go to Solon, Ohio, which is over south of Cleveland. Uh, it's a community very similar to Finley, uh, another wonderful venue to perform in. And then uh, we'll end our year on stage at the Grand Ole Opry. Doesn't get any better. Yeah. Uh, and that leads us to the garage sale because this is a fundraiser to help uh, pay for uh, all of the things that you do and the uh, needs of the uh, students who make up the uh, the group. Talk a little bit about the uh, garage sale fundraiser and uh, what's going on this week with respect to that, how important it is, and so on. Sure. Yeah, it's very important. It has quickly become, in the last several years, our biggest fundraiser of the year. Uh, you know, there used to be a time where we made five or six thousand dollars and one year the parents came along and they said you know we can really expand this and uh now speaking of tradition the tradition is you know twenty thousand dollars at this sale it's just wow. just incredible uh we accept donations from the community uh we started accepting donations yesterday and as i'm standing here in the lobby of the high school auditorium it's packed with furniture uh looking out on the cafeteria of the high school it's already packed with stuff we're going to keep accepting donations all day today uh, and tomorrow morning. You can just stop by Finley High School anytime right here in the front of the building, and our uh, crew members will help you get your stuff in the building. Um, and then the sale starts Thursday night with our early bird sale, uh, 5 o'clock p.m. There's a $10 cover charge for the early bird. Um, so I have the sale Thursday evening, mm-hmm. all day Friday, and then Saturday morning. And again, uh, 100% of the uh, proceeds will help offset some of the expenses that the group incurs through the course of the coming year, because uh, to do all of these things uh, obviously is not cheap. Yeah, it's, uh, we, it, it's, a, it's an extensive budget that we've had, and it seems to grow a little bit every year, which is exciting. Uh, but then we have to be able to generate the funds to make all of that happen. So the garage sale is a huge piece of the puzzle. Um, and we're already off to a great start. I'd like to thank the community and everybody who's dropped off things already for us to sell. Um, so it's, it's really incredible. I'll tell you, Chris, this, this community supports show choir like no other. This is when I tell people and other directors from around the country what we have and how we make things happen, directors are just amazed because what they do is they just – they just turn the cost over to the families of the group and the right. families have to pay a large participation fee to be in show choir. Yeah. And, you know, our community makes this happen. And uh, kudos to the uh, parents and the friends of the group who uh, come together every year to make this happen, because this is uh, a lot of work on their end. While the kids, like we said, while the kids are, uh, are busy, uh, hard at work preparing for their show, uh, the, uh, the parents are working just as hard to make all of this happen. Oh, absolutely. You know, the parents of the FFE, are, I just can't even put it into words uh, how incredible they are. They have standards for themselves that they want to achieve, you know, just like the kids do. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just amazing. Uh, so again, uh, if folks have uh, items they want to donate for the garage sale, can still do that today and uh, tomorrow. And then the uh, sale itself begins on Thursday, continues uh, Friday and Saturday, right? That's that's correct. And, you know, when the early bird sale opens, that's honestly 
one of my favorite moments of the FFE year to see the people rush in the door. Uh, <laughs> just, it's, it's just, it's incredible. Yeah. And uh, like we said, it's a great way to support what really is kind of a, a crown jewel, a feather in our cap. Uh, when oh, we talk about uh, Finley and, and uh, all of the things that we can be proud of, this is uh, certainly one of them uh, with the uh, Finley First Edition. And we've got a link on our webpage for more information about the uh, garage sale fundraiser and Uh, how you can help out. Uh, So you can go to goodmornings.net to get all of that info. And again, Director Kevin Manley, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. Certainly best of luck this year. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so very much. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us once again this morning. And a reminder, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the program at our webpage. Check us out online at goodmornings.net. Of course, Coming up tomorrow on the program, after years of talk, the Hancock County Commissioners recently broke ground on a new Judicial Center building. We'll get a closer look at how it will modernize county operations. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, gone out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.